0: It's time for Watch and Learn, the show where we discuss the life lessons we learn from the movies we watch. Today, Bad Times at the El Royale. Hey, Movie Maniacs. My name is Sky, and I'm here with my brother, Dusty. And I think from now on, I'm going to be covering... Every mirror in every hotel room I stay in. Uh, What about you, Dusty? How are you going to change the way you stay in hotel rooms due to watching bad times? Nah, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go ahead and leave it wide open. (laughs) (laughs) Let the world see what you got to show. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Nice, man. Hey, before we get to the movies, you know, I've got to tell you something. Me and my youngest son, Dalen, we were watching Deadpool 2 the other day as we were watching it, I told my son, hey, are you looking forward to the PG-13 version coming out in December? And he said, oh, why? Why would we want to watch a PG-13 version? And I thought about that before I answered him, and I gave him three answers why they might, uh, why they probably created a PG-13 version, right? So, my idea, reason number one, is because they have a killer idea for a Deadpool 2 PG-13 version. And have you seen any screenshots or like what uh, what Ryan Reynolds tweeted out about it? No, I haven't seen a thing. I didn't even know there was a PG-13 version. Yeah, so in December, they're releasing PG-13 Deadpool 2. And Ryan Reynolds tweeted a picture that looks like him reading a book. An older Fred, Ch- Fred Savage sitting in bed, so it it seems like they're going to turn Deadpool Two into kind of like a like a a grandfather reading his grandson (laughs) a story like in The Princess Bride. So they're going to make it a PG-13 version, probably cut cut out a ton of the dirty humor and a lot of the blood and stuff. But my guess is they're going to add a ton of kind of PG-13-ish jokes to it and maybe edit the movie so that a PG-13 audience can see it. So I think the first reason why they're doing it is because they have a great idea for a funny funny way to present Deadpool 2, you know? That the is, second reason, oh, I'm crazy. sorry, what were you saying? No, no, that's just crazy. I had no idea that they were going to do something like that. That is very, very cool. Yeah. The second reason might be simply to make extra money, right? Deadpool 2 <laughs> was such a uh, such a colossal hit that if you release it again uh, for a second version with additional footage maybe or additional jokes and stuff, you're going to make an easy 50, 100, 200 extra million dollars on the movie. You know what I mean? Well, cause they're not doing a whole lot new. Like there's, they're not reshooting the entire movie. It's just mm-hmm. adding in extra scenes and doing, yeah. So that's, that's smart for them. Yeah. And my third idea, the third reason possibly why is because, um, all Marvel movie, movies are PG-13. So the Deadpool creators, Ryan Reynolds, the producers and everything, maybe they want to show that Deadpool can work as a PG-13, uh, concept or, a uh, in a a PG-13 format, so that now it's easier to bring him in to Marvel movies, seeing him already in PG-13, see how it works. Bam, he's easy to place in the next Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or whatever kind of movies Marvel's going to be making. That sounds very, very cool. I agree. So those three things are just really, really great ideas or great reasons why they would do it. So I make sense. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward. I mean, I'm actually going to take maybe not the whole family. My my, my wife might might, want, might not want to see it again, but the kids definitely will go see the PG-13 movie. Yeah, that's cool. Sweet, sweet. So let's get to the movie, Dusty. What did you think about bad times at the El Royale? So I guess when I left the movie, I I had a little bit of a, a feeling like, man, I feel like I was, it was... I, uh, emotional roller coaster, or I feel so emotionally sapped, like just drained. But going through the entire movie, yeah, I was absolutely interested in each one of those different stories, storylines, you know, what each character, where they came from, what they're doing there, all that sort of great stuff. And it did remind me of. The type of storytelling that is similar to, and this is the first movie that I really remember. I mean, there are other ones out there, but one that really stuck out to me that it reminded me of was was Pulp Fiction or something similar to where the editing of the story tells the story in a different way that rather than you know just you know piece by piece. And so I thoroughly enjoyed the the movie, but at the same time, when I left, I felt like man, I feel I didn't feel as energetic. Like after I rest, watched excuse me, after I watched Pulp Fiction the first time um, and subsequent times, I've watched it many times, I I realized when I leave that movie, I feel like excited or I'm like a positive note or, you know, I feel feel good after I watch a movie, even though the main characters like uh, Samuel L. and um, John Travolta die. And we know all the bad things that happen um, in the middle of the story. But at the end, when they're leaving, you have, um, you know, Honey Bunny and what's the other, um, you know, robber. They get off scot-free and, you know, they kind of get going. And that that was like a 20-minute scene where it really kind of, you know, it feels like a good note. And then you see Samuel and, and John Travolta leave, and that's a good note. And so that was when I leave Pulp Fiction, I get a good note. But when I left Bad Times at El, um, El Royale. It definitely I felt like on a sour note, but at the same time, it was very, very entertaining. I always wanted to see what was happening next. Who was this guy? What happened there? Why did she hit him with the in the face with the yeah. champagne bottle? All that stuff. So what did you think? I was I, I was kind of the same boat as you. I was on I was really interested the entire time, wanted to see the backstories, and I really liked how, just like you said, pulp fiction, um, you know, does a little time skipping and going back and forth. I really liked how this movie kind of followed how Lost did. You remember when the show Lost and Drew Goddard, he's the writer and director of this movie. Um he also wrote quite a few episodes of Lost. Well, what I really liked about Lost, especially those first three seasons, was you'd be following them on the island. And then you would do a flashback to something important from their past that relates to what's going on right now. And what I liked about this movie is how they did those flashbacks to relate to either um, why the person is there at the El Royale or why they are the kind of person they are. And so I thought they used the flashbacks really well. Um, I understand what you're saying about Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction didn't really do flashbacks. It was more like one entire story with skips back and forth within that story. So there's, you know, kind of a small difference there. But I totally understand what you're saying. At the end of Pulp Fiction, you were like, wow, that movie was killer. It was awesome. I feel good. This ending was good. I see uh, the characters surviving off into the distance. But yeah, at the end, some of the good guys died and it was a bit draining. I would agree with you there. I did really enjoy it, though, and usually I, in in going through a movie, I I don't necessarily feel as, I didn't, in most movies, feel as, like, I really want to know what's going on, and, you know, why did that happen? Oh, my goodness, she hit him in the head with a bottle, with a champagne bottle, you know, things like that is just really, really cool. It's like, man, that was out of nowhere. Um, now, what did you think about the timing and the, the the way there were some slower parts in the movie, some faster parts? What did you think about the timing of the movie and the editing and the storytelling? Everything felt really nicely paced to me. I didn't feel bored at any given time because I knew that, oh, pretty soon something's going to develop. Then we're going to see a fat flashback to help us understand why this character's doing what they're doing or why they're there. So from the very beginning, I got a sense of what what to expect from the movie. You know what I mean? So I didn't feel any, I didn't feel like it was a slow burn, like it was too slow in the middle or the beginning or the end. I really liked the pacing the entire time. Now, before going to the movie, I looked at, um you know, IMDB and it said two hours and 20 minutes. I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize <laughs> I was getting myself into an over two hour movie. But it did not feel like two hours. The time flew by for me. I was enthralled from minute one. I agree. I didn't even realize, I didn't look to see how um, how much time it took, uh, or, you know, just, you know, start to finish. I just remember getting out like, man, it didn't feel like some long movies that are just completely long. Um, what did you think about, you know, leaving this type of movie and feeling like a uh, Meet Joe Black, or there was another movie that was very similar where, you know, you leave and you feel like, man, I just emotionally just spent two hours just being deranged. Do you have any any thoughts like that? Yeah, you know, you just said Meet Joe Black, and it also brought to mind another movie with Brad Pitt called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Um, I really liked that movie. It was super good, but I guarantee I'm never going to watch it again because at the end, I was emotionally drained, as emotionally drained as any movie I've ever seen. Now, if that is, if I would give the emotional draining of Benjamin Button a hundred, I would give this like a 70. i don't know if I'm ever going to watch this movie again. I would totally recommend to anybody who likes um, uh, The Hateful Eight, Pulp Fiction, Clue, any kind of movie where there's skips back and forth in time. Or if you were a fan of Lost with flashbacks and stuff, I totally recommend this. But I would understand for myself and for anybody else, if you watch it once and never watch it again. I loved it. But I don't know if I'll watch it a second time. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm glad you brought up the idea of Clue because that was, I actually have that in my notes to talk about is Clue was definitely a fantastic movie where they had backstories. Now, they didn't have alternate endings in this movie like Clue did, but I do enjoy this type of storytelling because it keeps you on your toes. It's, it's. Not, I wouldn't say anything like this, but it's a creative way to do editing. And think of the movie Memento. Memento, you actually watch the movie backwards. Yeah. And so that is just crazy to you know. That's a a whole new way. Like nobody ever. I never thought you know. Let's watch a movie backwards. Mm-hmm. Um. So I really enjoy the storytelling. Now I wanted to switch gears a little bit. What did you think about um, Thor and his, (laughs) I think I call him Thor. Um, What do you think about him and, you know, his character? Now, it's totally different than what we've seen him in the past. Everything from, you know, obviously being Thor, everything in the Marvel movies to when he was playing in um, the Red Dawn, the new Red Dawn remake um, and other movies, you know, he's totally different. What do you think about his his, um, acting as well as the character that he played? I freaking love Chris Hemsworth even more after seeing this movie. So we've seen him in some, you know, in some dramas or military action type of movies. And we've seen him in all of the Marvel superhero movies. And we've seen him in Thor Ragnarok. So we've seen him pull off drama. We've seen him pull off action. And we've seen him pull off some crazy good comedy. And now in this one, he's a character that he's never been before. Like a uh, a super good looking. Well, he's always good looking, but good looking charismatic, smooth-talking cult leader, and he totally pulled it off. I believed when I looked at him that he's the kind of guy that would have people under his thumb doing his bidding, um, able to smooth talk the ladies into joining his cult, sleeping with him, all that kind of stuff. Some of those scenes where he gave um, the other characters like a really dead eye look, especially a couple times when he looked at Jeff Bridges and Cynthia Erivo, which we'll get to Cynthia in a little bit. She was killer, but yeah. Chris Hemsworth was—he did a phenomenal, phenomenal job as Billy Lee, and I loved him in this role. And I think Chris Hemsworth—he's going to be, even though he's super good looking, he's obviously a funny guy, and he seems really smart to me. I think he will be like Tom Cruise is to me, or a guy like Robert De Niro. He'll—he will be one of the greatest actors to ever live. I think. After seeing him play in this show or this movie, I can definitely put him right up there. Or at least he is on target to be right up there with one of, with, with all-time greats. And watching this movie got me thinking of two things. Um, one, it really got me thinking of um, Chris Hemsworth is like today's Brad Pitt. I mean, he really felt like um, this could have been a Brad Pitt type of role. He would have done mm-hmm. fantastic in this role. But Chris Hemsworth knocked it out of the park um th- i also thought of man chris hemsworth could easily play jim morrison and that's that's what i picture jim morrison being like now one thing that i did notice i i completely could see um chris hemsworth playing many many characters and what was interesting is When he's playing Thor, his voice is like this. And that's why Star-Lord brought his voice. No, you will not take our pods, sir. (laughs) That's why he brought Mm -hmm. his voice down. Because I think Chris Hemsworth, his voice is normally low. In this movie... He actually changed it almost like an octave, like it, it made it feel like he was he was talking a little higher, you know, and he tried to change his voice to make him seem different than than like a commanding person yeah. in presence. So all that to say with Chris Hemsworth, um, his acting ability and the storyline and just everything, I thoroughly thought Chris Hemsworth did a fantastic job being the, um, the cult leader that he was. 100 percent and and speaking of just the actors i really like jeff bridges as father flynn he was like a forgetful doddering guy and jeff bridges just played it perfectly i loved him in this role yeah i i've always really enjoyed jeff bridges i really liked his dad you know uh lloyd bridges in all the yeah. uh the naked gun movies and all i he was an airplane fantastic. airplane yeah Wait, <laughs> but was um, lloyd jeff- bridges in the naked gun wasn't he? Oh, sorry. No, he no, was in was airplane. airplane. You're thinking airplane. Leslie Nielsen. But yeah, Jeff Bridges was in Airplane. Airplane, yeah. Oh, well, and um, Hot Shots, of course. Hot Shots. That's what I was thinking. Hot Shots. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I loved him in Hot Shots. But yeah, Jeff Bridges did a fantastic job. And easily, as soon as you see a father, you know, somebody who's a priest inside of a movie, especially something where you know, you know, <laughs> bad times at... Of course, he's a bad guy. Like that first thought It was like, uh-oh, he's there for no good. He's just pretending. But yeah. if you didn't know anything about the story, it'd be easy for him. But he played it really well. Jeff Bridges, like I thought – now, I don't know how old Jeff Bridges is. I mean, probably, what, 60, 70. But he played it so well that it made me feel like he was literally this old guy that had bad, bad memory issues, you know, brain cancer, or whatever it might be. And just his mannerisms, the the way he moved his mouth, all that stuff. Great, great job. I loved it. 100%. He was killer. And then him working alongside this new actress who I'd never seen before, Cynthia Erivo. She played Darlene. She was amazing man. She had a great voice, good singing, but along with that she had awesome acting. I mean, her scenes one on one uh with Jeff Bridges and then her scenes also reacting to like to 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 the kinds of um racial kinds of things that John Hamm's character was saying. It was just awesome and then I just really liked her um for one thing that I really remember when she started walking away after she got her room, um Father Flynn, Jeff Bridges said, "Would you like some help with that?" She goes, "No." And then she suddenly stops and thinks, and you see her look on her face. She realizes that, hey, I should be more sweet to this nice father. She turns around and says, "No, I'm. I can handle it from here, father." And she just killed that role, and I'm really looking forward to see her in future roles. I agree, and exactly, and I thought the exact same thing with that scene where she says no, and you know, turns around. Um, you can easily um screw that up if you were a bad actress if you're a bad actor that's a um uh, something where you can seem like you're playing off or not playing off like you're either overacting or you're not even doing a good job selling that you were mad at first and then now you are trying to be but she did great you I fully believed she was that person so yes. yeah she did a great job through the entire show I did also like the guy who played Miles um he did a great job acting what do you think He did he killed it He absolutely did i wonder if he's taking some lessons from his dad um you know i didn't look into it i'm just assuming because he looks exactly like bill pullman like a younger po- bill Pullman. lewis pullman's got to be his son it's got to be uh, it, it more than likely i mean the same name it looks just like him but yeah he did great so i think you know there was very as a limited cast inside this movie um obviously in the, in the when they're actually at the um El Royale but everything about it great casting great acting really really super great movie I I thoroughly liked everything about it I don't think there was anything that I um, went away with like man that was bad they shouldn't have done that why did they do that I didn't think there was anything like that what did you think I didn't think um, everything that they showed on the screen I was down with I loved it the only thing that I missed out on was like when you remember last last week when we talked about this movie you said it was going to be kind of like hateful eight where a confluence of a congregation of people meet together and they have some kind of you know what i mean you said this was kind of like hateful eight ish as soon as i heard that i thought to myself wow that's going to be awesome maybe they'll show some beautiful scenery and this uh, movie takes place in tahoe you and i have spent a ton of time in tahoe in the mountains um uh, in the lake of course going hiking and stuff. We love Tahoe, and it is so beautiful, but there are no shots of a beautiful Tahoe. Now, the hotel, the El Royale, looked phenomenal. The set design was incredible. I would love to go right now and spend a weekend with my wife in this hotel, 100%. You know, after I cover up the mirrors, of course. But... (laughs) It was a beautiful hotel, but why weren't there any beautiful shots of Tahoe or the mountains, the lake, or the road up to the hotel as the characters were driving up to it? You know. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, Tahoe is just absolutely beautiful, one of the more more beautiful places on the earth. And there there are a lot of great places, and Tahoe is one. If you've never been there, you absolutely need to go see Tahoe. Tahoe is just just beautiful, and I completely agree. And so I remember when we watching hateful eight you had a lot of that scenic stuff really really cool oh, yeah. it would have been nice it would have been nice to see that now here's one thing we were talking about um actors and actresses recently or just you know two seconds ago but i wanted to bring up something whenever there is a killer in a movie so, you know somebody that's bad and is you know the bad person in the movie uh, that has uh is basically you can tell is um not necessarily methodical but is in um uh, what's the word um well, maybe I'll explain it, and then maybe the word will come with me. But the the uh, the woman's sister, that the, the kidnapped girl, you know, her Rose. personality, Rose. Yeah, her personality throughout this entire thing was like she was so nonchalant. Not 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 just nonchalant. She did a good job playing it as if she was um, indifferent. That's a word. She was Ooh. indifferent to anything. Like if her sister dies, eh. Or you know, it's like she's just her face is so a killer with no emotion on their face, face being either angry, mad, upset. Only time that she showed emotion was when, um, or uh, necessarily showed was when Billy died. The other time mm. was when she woke up, you know, right in the middle of, uh, you know, being kidnapped, and she woke up trying to see where she was. Everything else, she was so crazy and like, but killers that have that, you know, um basically not caring about anything like not a emotional concern so so distant from everything those are the the scariest types because you can't tell what they're thinking they could kill you at at the drop of a hat and so i thought she did a great job yeah i thought she did too and um i wasn't surprised when she didn't show emotion at her sister dying uh i just kind of expected that would happen in the movie um but she did it was it was pretty obvious that we she she was fully under like 100% under um uh Chris Hemsworth's Billy Lee cult leader's um sway you know she was 100% devoted to him didn't care about what he did or I shouldn't say didn't care she probably supported everything he did and she was her puppet and I think I think that that actress uh, played that splendidly (laughs) yeah, she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I uh, everything about the only thing that was kind of weird was, you know, she's dragging uh, this older sisters dragging in her sister into the room. And the whole time she's running in and out with the the door open doesn't bother closing the door. If there's anything going on carrying a shotgun and all that sort of stuff. I was like, that's kind of a little weird. Usually you try to be really, really quick, maybe back your car right up to the door so you can pull her out and throw it and close the door real quick or something like that. Well, I agree with you. I think they did that purposely. So the um the the director and writer his name is Drew Goddard. If you look at a lot of his prior work like cabin in the woods or the martian um or even episodes of lost he seems to be a big fan of suspense right so when you see that door open you think to yourself as the audience member you think to yourself oh my gosh somebody's gonna walk by and see this you know so he's building suspense for something that's not gonna happen but in your head you're thinking oh my god close the door people are gonna see what's going on and it's just i think it's a building of suspense is why they did that great great point yeah good idea yeah you know Um, I knew there was going to be something going on at the hotel. At the very beginning, Lewis Pullman says, hey, father, why are you here? This is no place for a father, you know, or a man of the cloth, whatever he says. So you knew something strange was going to go on at the hotel, but... I really like the idea. I don't I shouldn't say like the idea, because I would never want to stay in a hotel that does this, but it was really cool having this hallway behind all the rooms that can see through the two-way mirrors. And it was really interesting seeing John Hamm's character. You know, it's pretty obvious he measured his room, like the, the width of the room, he measured in footsteps, went outside of the building, and found that holy cow, there's like 12 footsteps missing here. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely really really interesting. Now, I did not see the El Royale being a character in the movie. You know, obviously we got the the people who own or whoever it is and that's something we want to talk about really quick, but um I didn't see the the hotel being a character, a plot, you know, plot device in it. I was like, this is cool. I've yeah. got that's really neat. 100% it was. You know, what I liked about the hotel, so there's this whole thing in the movie about choosing right or wrong, black or white kind of a thing. The hotel itself gives you the choice you can stay in California or Nevada, you know? Um there were quite a quite a lot of other you know choices like uh, Chris Hemsworth character saying choose right, red or black at the end Father Flynn's character hey you can let him drink alone or not when he's you know, thinking about Darlene or Agent Brodbeck when he's talking to the FBI director or whoever it was he says you've got to follow orders but Brodbeck had the choice of follow orders or help this girl that appears to be kidnapped so the whole movie was this black and white right or wrong kind of choice thing and California Nevada like you said the hotel was a character in itself giving the other characters their own choice and where to stay now that's a great point now in california do you think they didn't have that same um you know same deal with the mirrors and everything uh no my guess no no they did didn't he didn't he go down that hallway as well he went on both sides of the hallway oh maybe i just didn't register that but yeah okay that was my question was i didn't think that it would just be nevada side that they would have that i think it'd be the whole thing because obviously they want to be <laughs> taking advantage of it as much as they can yeah, it was because that one long tracking shot. So Agent Broadbeck takes the master key and tries to use it, wasn't able to open up that uh, hallway. He goes in and he looks down the uh, along the first side. There was no camera there. And then he goes across the hall. And then this uh. was the... This was the best shot in the entire movie. The long tracking shot when he's going from door or from window to window or mirror, I guess he first sees, um, father Flint digging into the base where he's all, what the heck? He goes to the next room. He hits the speaker and then he hears Darlene singing and then the entire scene, she's singing out loud. It was just so freaking beautiful. So awesome. He goes from window to window and then he sees, um, uh, Melanie or ah, Dakota Johnson's character. Um, with what appears to be a kidnap victim in there. It was just an entire long scene. But the end of the corridor, you see a camera there. In that first corridor, there was no camera. So he definitely went along both California first and then Nevada second, I believe. That's a great point. I didn't catch that. So good, good idea. And yeah, the having the the hotel be a character in the movie was so it was like, wow, look at this. This is pretty cool. Now can you guess and obviously I, I don't I didn't catch anything that they led on to who actually owns it and who they send it to and all that sort of stuff. What are your thoughts about that hotel who owns it and all that? Well, my guess is it's basically maybe for a while it was like I don't know, you think of Camp David, right? Back East, this is where all the big wigs, presidents of other com- countries come and spend a week with the president of the United States, hang out and talk policies and politics and all that kind of stuff. Maybe in in this idea of, uh, in in this movie, El Royale was a place where the big wigs, senators and presidents would go when they want to go to California and spend a nice weekend. Maybe they would go to El Royale. And so this place is controlled by the FBI would be my guess. So when Agent Broadbent or Broadbeck was saying, Hey, you know, there's this kidnapped victim, and they said, Hey, just pull out all of our stuff. They just knew the gig was up. It's time to get out of there. So I think all of that belongs to the FBI, is my guess. Because didn't uh, Miles Miller, didn't his character say that he sent stuff off to Pennsylvania or something? Or Philadelphia, maybe? It was something like that, yeah. Yeah, so, and I don't know where the FBI headquarters is. Maybe it's in Washington, D.C., maybe it's in Philadelphia. But my guess is he was. Um, if not the FBI, it was somebody who has ties to Washington who wants, like, blackmail material on senators and presidents and bigwigs, you know. So that that's a good thought. Now, it could be maybe something different. I don't know if the CIA was created before then or oh, during CIA that. CIA maybe too. Yeah, but you're right. I don't know when it was created. Because I know CIA is Langley, Virginia. Um, uh, but the FBI, you remember that you had, and he's calling, uh, uh, what's his name, um, was calling Director J. Hoover, Hoover. right? Yeah, he's calling J. Edgar Hoover, and so he's a part, he's over the FBI. So if it was the FBI's place, he would literally just say, "Go in there, and take everything out." You know, it's his place. So that's one little uh, caveat that I would think. But I think you're 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 right in your thinking that maybe it's a government, or maybe, but it's definitely something political that is going to be able to use this great stuff. And obviously, they wanted this. Uh, was it a senator that was on the the film? That was the big thing. Like they were heavily, heavily interested in getting the film, uh, you know, getting any footage of him doing whatever inside that theater or the the not theater the um, hotel. So yeah, something political, really, really interesting. Great part of the story, and I really enjoyed that the the entire hotel was was a character in that That was great. I agree with you. It was a great a great aspect of the hotel right there. And uh, one thing, talking about characters, I really liked how Darlene. Kind of, uh, you know, clocked him upside the head with a bottle of wine and stuff. And later on, when he asked her what gave me away, she said, basically, you spend your whole life being shaken. You learn how to spot a shaker. So that was just a really interesting just the the whole dynamic between darlene and father flynn i love that i think that's what made the movie if those two actors did not work well together if there was no chemistry there if you didn't believe her or didn't believe him i think the whole movie would have fallen flat but i think those two characters uh carried the weight of the movie on their shoulders I would, I would absolutely agree with that. Even though, um, or barring the end where they get away and all that sort of stuff, even if that didn't happen, the storytelling throughout, like the, the agent, you didn't care about the, um, obviously you kind of cared about the, the, the girl and his sister could just because it's the, the scenario of what, what it was. And, yeah. Um, you know, when you're thinking about the, the guy, uh, miles who was, you know, running the, the place, you didn't really care about him all that much, but the two people you did care about was father and her because of the storytelling, because yeah. So if they were horrible actors and actresses, um, if they were horrible and didn't have any chemistry, then you, it would not be done as well. And you wouldn't, en- I didn't would, sorry, I would not have enjoyed it nearly as much, but they did a great job and the storytelling with the actors there t- were terrific. 100% they didn't. What did you think? I, my guess is that you kind of enjoyed that happy ending, quote unquote happy ending, because two of the characters that we liked, um, Darlene and Father Flynn, they survived at the end, but some of the other ones that we would have rather, that we would have liked to have lived, like Miles, the, the desk clerk, and then John Hamm's character, of course he's just an FBI agent doing his job, you would want them to live, but I think it gave really good stakes and really good emotional uh, I think the audience could really connect to the uh, to the movie emotionally when Miles and Agent Broadbeck both died because they're good people, and it always hurts to see good people die in a movie. But I think it makes you more connected to the movie. You know what I mean? So, what did you think about that ending with Father Flynn and Darlene living? I thought it was really cool. And now, um, I obviously she's still um, in the not as great or prominent shows, and she's still singing. But um I thought it was really, really cool. It just it was just like a, a tip to the ha- tip of the hat. You know, or you know, at the end of um um my goodness, um, Oceans Pulp Eleven? Fiction? You know. No, no. At the end of pole, uh, um, *Ocean's 11 they're all oh. standing there together. They don't even say anything to each other, and they know what they just did. They know that what they just went through. They're successful, and they just yeah. all leave one by one. Very, very cool. Kind of like you know, a tip to the hat, tip of the hat to each other. Same thing. You know, um, when she, Darlene, looks at him and just gives a nod. You know, it's a tip of the hat to each other. Really, really cool. I like the way that worked out. I agree with you there. I really liked it as well. I would have liked to have seen, like I said, Miles and John Ham living, but that's a 100% happy ending where all the bad guys die, all the good guys live, and I think it it does give it a little bit more emotional weight, and it makes it more impactful when some of the bad guy, or I'm sorry, when some of some of the good guys die. I I definitely agree with that. It's when some of the I, now when you keep saying that Miles was a good guy, I'm like I don't know how Miles was a good guy well, because of all he should just quit if he was a good guy. You're right, you're right. He was he was bad in some senses, but he was a soldier um who did his duty in the war in the war, right? And he definitely did regret some of that. He felt that he murdered a lot of people, he killed a lot of people, he felt bad about it. But then he was a guy who maybe was hooked on drugs and he got off on the wrong um, you know, you could imagine he took this job in Tahoe because he just wanted to get away from everything, be in a nice, quiet, secluded place. But then management, one thing after another led him to doing this bad stuff where maybe he wasn't really doing bad stuff. He was just kind of watching people. So it's easy to kind of rationalize what he was doing. But in the end, he was absolutely repentant of everything that he did. So he's definitely a good guy in the audience eyes. And I understand what you're saying. He did a lot of bad things, but in the audience, uh, in the audience's eyes, we all view him as a good guy. I completely agree, and that's that's the key that you brought up was he was a repentant. You know, he was penitent. He wanted to, uh, he wanted to just get rid of all that junk, even though he knew it was wrong and he shouldn't have done it in the past and he's saying now like in deep down he's a uh wants to be a good person or you know live well or live a good life as best as you can even though Mm -hmm. you know if you if you do one if you kill one person then uh you're probably considered not the best person in the world, but not as bad as like Billy Lee you could tell he was internally evil or um Rose she was internally evil as opposed to um Miles who didn't seem like that like he was just either circumstances or whatever it might be um yeah so you're you hit the nail on the head with that yeah yeah 100% so um and thinking about what you said in the very beginning you know how this movie just is emotionally draining and all on a rewatchability Factor or scale. I would give this a two. I might watch this again in the future, but I definitely won't be buying it, and I definitely won't be renting it at the red box. You know what I mean? If it comes up somehow, somebody's watching at their house, and I'm invited over, I'll watch it. But I don't know that I'll watch this ever again. Kind of like I watched uh, Pulp Fiction, like you said, over and over. I've seen Hateful Eight four times now. You know what I mean? I this might be a one time watch, but that doesn't take away from how good it was in this one watching. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Now there was a movie, um, written by M. Night Shyamalan. Um, it was the first movie that came out with Bruce Willis. What was that called? Six Sense. Six Sense. Yeah. So that was a fantastic movie, and um, you know, everything about it, storytelling was so dramatic and so like like new. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and you know, the twist at the very end was like, wow, this was crazy. But I literally only watched it once. And even though I want to go back and watch it again because of this, you know, I now I know the ending. I know how to what to watch for and seeing all that. I still have never gone back because I was so emotionally drained and I really don't want to go back. And if you think about. Um, just the different types of movies, the way they, for me and other people might be totally different, um, which is completely understandable, but Thor Ragnarok versus Thor the dark world. I've watched Thor Ragnarok like seven or eight times with the kids <laughs> dark world. I think I've watched it uh, once by myself, uh, or with a wife and then one time with the kids so they, they can see the storyline. But other than that, they don't want to watch dark world again. Cause it wasn't, yeah. it didn't make you feel entertain not entertained that's not the best word but you did weren't emotionally drained like you were actually emotionally built up and then when you get out a movie it feels good so same thing with six sense with this movie i didn't get i didn't feel built up and you know looking back now i i remember almost every bit of it and I don't need to watch it again or it's not like a desire to watch it again and at the same time I get emotionally drained um and it's like you know i have it was a great movie to watch I would definitely recommend anybody to if they want to see something like this Go ahead and watch it wholeheartedly. Um, but yeah. on the watchability factor, re factor, you know, a 2 out of 10, I would say, you know, if it was well, I like... Give it a, uh, my oh. re-watchability factor is like 1 out of 5. So it's like a 2 out of 5 is my idea. A 1 out of 5 or a 2 out of 10? Well, no, no. Uh, my re rewatchability factor is on a score of 5. Oh, so 1 to five. 5. So I give this a two, 2 out of 5. Yeah. So honestly, if this was on, you know, on a Saturday, I was bored and I was just, you know, flipping through the channels this was on, I would not not watch it like i wouldn't change ah let's not watch it and change it i wouldn't mind watching it but i would not go out of my way to watch it yeah so i'd say it's like a 1.5 maybe a 2 yeah i'd say leading up to a 2 because it was entertaining um absolutely so i maybe maybe a 2 would be good for me cool beans cool beans so before we get to lessons learned anything else you want to talk about the movie there was one thing that I thoroughly appreciated. Obviously, this is a bad movie. Obviously, this was um, a, not a bad movie, like a bad, like don't watch it, but bad things go on in the movie. And it's definitely a rated R movie. Um, one thing I thoroughly appreciated, there wasn't even like the whole, they could have really taken this down a a gratuitous route of showing like just rampant sex rampant drugs rampant this that and other violence they they could have been yeah they could have been so like so um, debauchery like had so much debauchery in it but they didn't and they pulled it off really really well to where you know what's going on there your imagination goes because you know uh, miles tells a story but i thoroughly thoroughly appreciated that it wasn't so, you know, de- you know, had so much debauchery in it that it would like turn me off. Like if it did have, if it did literally show that stuff in the movie that miles was explaining, I probably would have got up and said, you know what? I just don't want my brain to have that thought in my head. Yeah. Just having the, you know, the image of him explaining it was, you know, irritating, not into irritating storytelling was good, but I was like, you know what? That's enough for me. So I thoroughly Thoroughly appreciate it and other people might, you know, hey, I want to see all that sort of stuff. But for me, I was glad that they made it not so gratuitous and they made it, you know, uh, just a good story. I agree with you there. It is rated R, and I think it deserves that rated R rating. Yeah. And you're right. The audience doesn't need to be left with those visuals. Just the idea that those things happened is enough to drive the points of the story home, I believe. Absol- absolutely. Because, you know, the, some some movies, they just put a beautiful girl on there and make her naked just to get people to go watch it. Yeah. And they didn't need to do that. This movie was so much better, I think, without it. If they would have put it in, it, it would have cheapened the movie. Yeah. True dat. True dat. So my first lesson is, once you start down the wrong path, it is tough to turn around. Now, this was like Miles doing bad things, like I said. He probably got started in management, asked him to do one small thing. And then it led to, oh, a second, a little bit worse thing to a third, a little bit worse thing going down the corridors, recording people. You know what I mean? And Rose falling under the cult leader's spell, killing somebody, then not even caring when her sister dies. Like Once you start down the wrong path, it is tough to turn it around. That is a great point that actually is very similar to my number three. So it, it, it's exact same type of thinking. So I'll read my number three, the, the third one okay. that I wrote. So my third one is stand for something or you'll fall for anything. And absolutely, like if you get caught up in a cult, you know, you, if you don't have, and this is my, my point of view, I read the Bible every single day. So I know what I stand for. And so when something comes at me, because I read the Bible every day, like if somebody says, hey, did you know that Jesus Christ was, um, you know, you did curse Jesus Christ in order to get into heaven? I'm saying, no, it doesn't. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. So I don't need to do that because I know what I stand for. It's because I read the Bible every day and I definitely would never join a cult because I know what, you know, what I stand for. So all of these characters, if they knew what they stand for, like you could tell Darlene knew what she stood for, or at least she was almost considering and and developing it as she was going you could see that but other people like miles he didn't have any place or um rose didn't have any place that she stood for so yes stand for something or you'll fall for anything Yeah. And I like your point about, you just brought up Darlene and all. I really liked her interaction with Chris Hemsworth character, Billy Lee. That thing at the end around the roulette table was incredible. She just spit back, like she shot him down. She knew exactly what he was about. Maybe she's never had interactions with cult leaders before, but she's known guys exactly like him as we saw in one of her flashbacks with that, um, music producer, I guess you might call him. Um, She I loved how she just shot him down. And then that's when he just shut up and he gave some of those evil looks to her and to Jeff Bridges character. I love their interaction. And that goes right along with what you're that lesson that you're talking about there. Yeah, it was a great scene because with a cult leader, somebody that is is literally thriving and devouring fear, devouring like, oh, what's he gonna do? Is he? she's like, you're gonna do? It. And and uh, Father Flynn said the exact same. He's gonna do what he's gonna do. Yep. He does not deserve to hear your voice. Like, don't give him the power that he wants. He that's what he wants. He craves that power, and when you don't give it to him. Obviously, he's gonna get upset. But you're you can only you can only handle or not handle um you can only change your own actions like you can't change what he's going to do you can only change yep. how you react to him or how your actions are and so she is like you know i know who you are you know i i yeah. know exactly i've been around you yeah so great i love that part of the story 100 percent. i loved it too and i like how your third lesson dovetailed with my first um My second lesson goes right along with the first lesson. The second lesson is, it's never too late to change your ways. So right at the end of the movie, Miles, he was obviously dying, but he wanted to repent. He wanted to change his ways. And sure, maybe... You can't make it up to those that you've wronged or you can't get forgiveness from them as well. But you can do right from this point forward. So as soon as Miles decided, you know, I'm going to repent, I'm on the right path, even though he was dying, it's never too late. He made the right choice at the end, you know. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's never too late. Completely Mm -hmm. agree. All right. So my first one is, and you brought it up right when we first started the, the uh, show here, always look for wires and behind mirrors in every hotel and Airbnb you go to, like double check everywhere and don't do any funny business in the place that you are know that somebody else could potentially be watching unless it's yours and it's physically yours. Uh, but yeah, I'm definitely always going to be pulling out light sockets. I'm going to be looking in phones. I'm going to look behind mirrors every place I go from now on. I love that lesson. That's perfect. Perfect takeaway from this movie for sure. Yep. Um, So my third lesson is we always revert back to our level of training in times of stress. So the most stressful situation you could ever be in your life is on the line miles just picked up that gun started shooting the bad guys picked up the rifle went outside took out those two guys by the car i mean he went right back to his level of training and his level of experience with taking out um you know uh uh, bad guys when he was in the vietnam war and it's just an interesting idea that and i know it as a poker player as well if you are used to i don't know Tilting and the shoving in your stack when you just don't know what to do in a poker hand, um, you're going to do that from now on until you decide to change your ways. So whatever level of training that you're uh, that you've become accustomed to, you're going to revert to in times of stress. That's a great point. That that is very very true. And what they call it, um, especially in shooting, like if you have a pistol and you're practicing shooting, um, it's a perishable skill. You know, at, mm. if you get really really active, right, think about golf. If you're playing really well at golf, it takes a lot of work to where you get the ball straight and all that sort of stuff. Same thing with shooting. If you don't keep practicing, if you stop practicing, then that perishable skill will eventually go away. And what yes. it takes is muscle memory. Your muscles can easily re. Um, you know, because it's done over and over again, you can easily do the exact same thing. But once that muscle memory is gone, then it makes it so much harder. So yeah, I thought that was really, really cool. So good, good observation. Yeah, nice. I like that perishable skill. Like, was it perishable skill? Um, Yeah, perishable skill. There there are lots of things that we have that are perishable skills, you know, that our bodies actually do, because you can remember how to do it. But Physically, your body may not remember how to actually move that muscle, or yeah. that muscle muscle's weaker than the other, or whatever it might be, and so that's why when people train with firearms, they train specifically how it would be when it comes to you know time. I'm thinking of you know soldiers or police officers or you know sheriff deputies, things like that. They practice exactly how it will be, and they're taught. This is how it's going to be. So you practice the exact same way. And here to give you a quick example of muscle memory, how if you do it wrong, it can actually be very detrimental. So there was a study. Uh, I'm gonna study. Say a study. There was a situation that happened. So a police officers, they were trained to, um, you know, pull out the revolvers because at the time they had a revolver, shoot it, shoot the revolver, add a target, and then um, when they're done, they holster would holster em- it not no not holster it they would actually oh. empty the shells because remember it was um it's not a magazine that shoots out the the bullets they would take the revolver open up the chamber and dump the cartridges out into their hand And then put them in their pocket so they can be recycled rather than just dumping them on the ground. They put them in their pocket and, you know, go and either recycle them or reload them or whatever it might be. And they would be practicing that over and over and over again. And that's how they were taught. Now, fast forward to a gunfight. Don't know who, where, or how, but the story is basically that they learned. You teach them exactly how it's going to be every single time. And so what happened? There was actually a gunfight where the police officers had revolvers. They were shooting at the bad guys, and lo and behold, the guy, the police officer, sadly died. But what they found was the police officers had pockets full of spent casing inside their pants because they were trained to do that. They literally did that, wasted time, wasted their lives. They might have got shot because they were t- wasting time putting the shells in a pocket when they should have just dropped it. All that to say, you need to train right every single time and have muscle memory right every single time. Yeah, it's something that we call in poker, which we learned from a guy named Jared Tendler. It's called unconscious competence. So in times of stress, you just revert back to your training. So like you said, they reverted back. They take a few shots. Empty out the chamber. Take a few shots again, empty out the chamber. So it makes sense that in times of stress, that's exactly what they do. Without even thinking about it, it's Absolutely. muscle mem- memory working its way into their actual actions in the moment. Yeah. And if they would literally stop and think, What am I doing? They would they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. Like it would not, they yeah. just jump them on the ground because they know their life is dependent on yeah, them. But living. they can't think because yep. they're in so much, so much stress right now. Their just body is reacting naturally. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. So what is your second lesson? Which was your third overall lesson? My last lesson that I'm going to share, but it's my second one. Don't assume someone is incapacitated. Make sure that they are tied up. And obviously with the FBI agent busting in, hitting her in the head, thinking, oh, everything's good now. Let me take care. No, no, no. Never assume that anybody's, I don't imagine myself breaking down a door and doing anything like that. But knowing that If there was somebody breaking into my house and I had to protect my family and I had the chance or my wife had the chance to actually hit them in the head and they're down for you know 30 seconds or a minute, don't assume that they are incapacitated and you can actually get away. Get uh, something, tie them up, make sure that they are completely incapacitated so they can't come after you and hurt you. Yep, exactly. 100%. I love that lesson right there. And um, to go along with that, my Monday morning quarterback, so... Emily Dakota Johnson's character Emily, she um you know, she shoots the sheriff or not the sheriff, I'm sorry, the FBI agent, which I'm totally down with. I'm fine with that. But then she leaves her brainwashed sister alone like even for like it was like 30 seconds with the phone line right there. That was just the worst thing that you could do with somebody who is brainwashed because she obviously knew her sister was brainwashed. That's why she was tied up and gagged um and she had said something along the lines of, you know, I'm going to holds you this way until you break from I don't exactly remember what she said but she knew her sister was brainwashed leaving her alone for five minutes was a terrible idea absolutely so my Monday morning quarterback goes a step before that whenever you see the God of Thunder swimming naked you run away (laughs) yes (laughs) how funny is that yes i love that one
1: do not 100 do not
0: go swimming with the god of thunder that would be detrimental to your health and you would get brainwashed because he is he's one uh good looking dude and seeing him dancing and stuff i was like oh my goodness i bet there are a lot of ladies that are like eating this up but man he was he was really uh uh charismatic and he uh Chris Hemsworth did a great job but yeah definitely don't go uh swimming naked with the god of thunder 100% how could anybody say no to that man doing whatever he does, saying whatever he says. How could you say no? It's really difficult. <laughs> You've got to have a strong uh, strong will, I believe, especially if you're a lost and alone girl like Rose was. I mean, she obviously ran away from her abusive father, probably ran away from her sister as well, went out to California, and then suddenly you find this guy who seems to know everything, who's very charismatic and convincing. How do you not fall under his spell? I... I don't know. I I was almost falling under the spell, just being in the the movie. hundred (laughs) percent. So, hey, there is uh, a thinking that I wanted to bring it up. So with Chris Hemsworth, obviously he is um, a super beautiful guy and super fit, just looks amazing. Now imagine if that was, and it would not be able to be pulled off very well if it was like Danny DeVito. Or <laughs> if it was uh, Jonah Hill, you know, if it was, you know, Jonah Hill and Bad and all that, if it was one of those two guys, they could not pull that off, or at least I don't think, maybe they could, but I definitely don't think Danny Vito would pull that off, you know, and be that that uh, cult leader type of guy. But yeah, Chris Hemsworth was perfect for this role. Yeah, I agree with you there. Cool, so anything else uh, about this movie that we haven't discussed yet? About the movie? No, but we also have to give the rating and the prop that we would want. Oh, that's right. Thanks for pulling that up. So the rating, what rating would you give this movie? Because I was thoroughly entertained and the two hours, two plus hours just went by like a flash. um, I give it an 80, a solid 80. I am right there with you. I give it an 80 as well with the caveat that on a rewatchability factor of one to five, I only give it a two. Yeah, I, I... I completely agree and so that's why you know usually i give a rating on how likely i would rewatch it but i mm-hmm. for four went that like if if i if it was a rewatchable factor of like four out of five it would be like a 92 94 yeah, or totally. something like that but because i would not rewatch it that's why it dropped down and i didn't want to give it a 70 i want to give it a little above the seven because remember you and i we agreed try to do our best mm-hmm. to not throw in the 70 range because it's easy to throw a 74 out because anybody could do that but it's above that for me it's an 80 so good cool we got the same one so my movie prop is probably the same one as you it's the one that's most iconic or the one that people would say oh yeah if they've seen that movie they know they could see that and know what it is Uh, can you guess what i what i what uh prop i would want my guess is you're going to say the el Royale sign oh that would be I was thinking something smaller like all the, oh. all the props. <laughs> yeah usually all the props I usually try to think if I would yeah normally we go house. small on the props yeah so the El Royale sound obviously anybody would be able to see that but think of something a little smaller that would fit in a house or be you know part of it well I'm thinking from what I would think about you you would want to see father Flynn's mask or you would want to have father Flynn's mask that's a good point or that's a good thought but no i'll I'll just go and say it i think the most iconic thing that was um from at least from the middle as soon as you realize that the hotel is a character from the middle on it's the film the film that got burnt up oh there you go yeah i would like to have that film and be that hey this is the film like oh let me see it i want to see who it was here or something like that Um that's what i would have what about you what kind of prop would you want Gotcha. I, I thought the very first thing I saw was that iconic kind of red money bag. And so that's what I would keep, that red money bag. Huh. Why? It just looked really cool. You never see a red bag in that style. They're always green or gray or black in that kind of bag. And just red just kind of drew your eyes to it. And it was really cool seeing Ron Swanson's character hiding that in the in the in the beginning of the movie. And then later on, um uh chris hemsworth's character dumping money out of it i think that red money bag is cool the the second thing would be darling sweet's like little tempo keeping green box oh yeah yeah but the money bag is what i would choose very cool good good yeah that's man that's about all that i had Okay, sweet, sweet. So I really enjoyed discussing this movie with you, Dust. Um, So this movie was my choice, but next week, instead of you choosing a movie, we talked about this off-air with the audience. But you and I are going to discuss our five most defining childhood movies. So do you think you're going to be ready for that? I'm going to have to do some research because <laughs> there's <laughs> so too, many of um, yeah there's so many amazing movies out there that in the eighties, cause we watched so many movies. I mean, just one that I would not even have thought of is, um, stand by me, you know, just yeah. when I think of movies, like in the, when I were growing up, one that I thought I would absolutely hate. And I don't know if the, I, this is probably not one of them. One of the ones I would pick, but you know, so many different movies, but stand by me. I thought I would hate it. We wouldn't watch it with our dad. Cause he, he picked it. Usually we pick, but this is the one that, that he picked and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was fantastic movie. So, I'm really looking forward to it. So that's a great idea. Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. So now that you, the audience, know how we feel about bad times at the El Royale, we would love to hear your thoughts and not just your thoughts on the movie, but also any life lessons that you took away from it that we missed out on. So please leave a comment at the bottom of the show notes page, which is watchandlearnpodcast.com Slash bad times at the El Royale. I'm sorry, that's a big long word right there. But go ahead and go there. Leave your comments at the bottom. When you go to that page, you can see the life lessons that we took away from it, a link to the official trailer, some various screenshots that we like, and also a link to our Watch and Learn podcast Facebook page where you can comment there as well. So thank you very much for listening, and we will return next week with. Our top five defining childhood movies.